Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Oh, come on, give your pastor an amazing hand. Come on, he deserves, in fact, come on, you got to get on your feet and do better than that. Come on, for real. This man loves you, he serves you, his family, his family's amazing. Now, now let's give some praise to the one that really deserves it as well. Father, we love you, we thank you. This praise is for you. This praise is for you, Jesus. How many of you say that God's been better to you than you deserve? Come on, how many of you say that God's been better than you to you than, than a lot of times you let on, right? Why don't you turn to somebody and say, he's been better to you too. He's been better to you too. You may be seated. What an honor it is to be at Oaks. And, and I didn't know they would put this out here, but this is good because this will keep you, and this is not to the end, but this is amazing. Man, it's the best setup I've ever seen in my life. This is awesome. Um, Oaks Church, wow, you've only been going two or three years? Four? Okay, I don't know if you remember, but four years? I would have been happy, like, for this in four years. It's pretty amazing what God's doing at Oaks, and you've definitely got the attention of your community, and even the North Dallas area. We've heard some amazing things, and so love your pastors, Pastors Joel and Jennifer, and and uh, their family, Sydney. I have a Sydney as well. They have a Sydney. They got a Blakely. And I see Gary Anderson in the house. A lot of longtime friends and family of choice, right? Hey, well, if you have your Bibles, go with me to First Samuel. And some of you, I came to church and we have a guest speaker. Well, you don't have a guest speaker because I am family. So this, I am not a guest. I am family of your pastors and honored to be here. I have a, a beautiful wife. She's at home. I have three daughters. And we have a picture of them, if, if you have it, um, just to see that I very much married, uh, as Pastor Joel did, um, way up above my, uh, you know, they say, outkick your coverage, outpunch your coverage. And I have three amazing daughters. All three of them are in ministry. Two of them are at Highlands College in Birmingham, Alabama. And one of them is full-time on staff with us, leading worship and doing young adults. And I'm so proud of them. We'll celebrate 25 years of marriage in April. Uh, May, May, April's my birthday. May's our anniversary. The older I get, the harder it is to remember. Uh, but yeah, but if you have it, did, did I tell you where to go in your Bible yet? Okay, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. As you're turning there, let me just mention a couple of things. I didn't, I'm not here to sell books. I'm not an evangelist, okay? But I am here to make the greatest deposit I possibly can into you. And that's with the word and some, some resources that I have put together over the past. Dream On is something that uh, is special to me because I really wrote it as a journal, almost a diary to, to, for my girls to, to know uh, um, you know, to not give up on their dreams. When we first moved to Forney, we had five of us uh, meeting in a conference room and, and, and literally got the phone book out, started calling people. Hey, I'm starting a church. Are you interested? For real. Some of you, what a phone, what, what's a phone book? Uh, well, for those that are my age or older, you remember the phone book. And I literally got the phone book out, go through McDonald's and pay for the cars behind me and go through the neighborhoods and happen to be in the area, you know, and invite people to church. And, but it was a really rough first year. My middle daughter, Ashton, got bit by a snake. 
she was three years old. Uh, my, my wife had optical migraines, had a spinal tap. They didn't plug the tap right in the, in the surgical procedure they did, and she was literally draining fluid off her brain. I was out of town at a conference, had to get on an emergency flight from Atlanta to come back. Uh, you know, my house caught on fire. This was all in the matter of about 90 days. My house caught on fire, my truck engine blew up, and a flat tire. I felt like I was a country music song in the making. And, and But 18 years later, God's been faithful. We purchased 40 acres of, of real estate on the north side of town in Forney and just built a brand-new, gorgeous 40,000-square-foot building. And God has just been so faithful. And this whole book is about continuing to dream in spite of the adversities. How many know if you have a dream from heaven, hell is going to fight it? And, and if hell's not fighting it, you don't need this book. But if you have a dream that's bigger than you, it's not bigger than the God in you. And this is just to continue to, you know, to inspire you to keep dreaming. And then the second is the 12, 21 principles of godly prosperity. I never dreamed I'd write a book on prosperity because I'm not that guy. Uh, but when God began to deal with us about planning, a, uh, not planning, but expanding and buying the land and building our new building, it was actually during the pandemic that we saw $6 million above and beyond our tithes and offerings come in, and we built a gorgeous building. I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you, it is to God be the glory, and it was by simple people that put their pants on the same way you do, that have struggles like you do, go to work like you do, and, and God just blessed them supernaturally, financially. But this is not just about finances. The reason I put a family picture on the front is to remind everybody that prosperity goes beyond money. And, and how many know you can be the richest man in the world and be miserable? Uh, so this is about nothing missing, nothing broken, wholeness in living and uh, principles to live by. And some of our people out in Phony caught a hold of these principles, and God blessed them uh, in amazing ways. So, Pastor Joel, those are for you, and, and thank you. for. In fact, Pastor Joel's four endorsed Maybe both of them. I know one of them, dream on for sure. So, well, you ready for the word? It's 1036. I'll be done in 29 minutes and 13 seconds. <laughs> you think I'm playing. You watch. I'm going to hit it too. I'm going to hit it. Miracles are still happening. If we're at free life, people would lose money saying there's no way he's going to do that. But I'm just telling you, I will. I will. First Samuel chapter 18, and I'm going to read the first five verses. After David had finished talking with Saul... Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant, somebody shout covenant, with David because he loved him as himself. And then he did three things because covenant's more than talk. Covenant's more than a, 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 a sermon or, you know, even a business name or a church name. Covenant is action, Right? And so he did three things to prove his covenant relationship, and, and he did this. First of all, he made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself, and he took off the robe he was wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. We'll come back to all of that and get that meaning in a few minutes. Whatever mission, this is the results of covenant, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful. Now, you would think it was a Jonathan because Jonathan's the one that made covenant with David. But, but this is the power of when somebody really gets behind you and believes in you. Jonathan made a covenant with David, and therefore David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army, and this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. One translation says, so David was successful in all of his uh, endeavors and everything that Saul gave him to do. 
So I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on the thought, the power of covenant relationships. Somebody shout covenant. The power of covenant relationships. Because if we're going to have great families, if we're going to have great businesses, if we're going to have great churches, it's going to have to go beyond mere commitment. There's going to have to be a covenant relationship involved. And, and, and the word covenant has been misunderstood and in most churches even neglected. The word covenant has been mistaught and some people have even compared it to a cult. I remember when I first came to, to, to Forney, my church name was Covenant Generations Church. And one of the reasons we changed the name to Free Life wasn't anything mysterious. It's just people didn't understand the word covenant. They didn't even know how to spell it, much less knew what it meant. And a lot of times people think, well, covenant, that's blood involved. That must be, must be a cult. But that's just not the truth. Uh, it's been misunderstood. It's been mistaught. And in fact, and even in some uh, uh, places and organizations, it's been abused by people in authority because we've been so conditioned, watch this now, to base all of our decisions on feelings, we tend to run from anything that requires a long-term commitment. But our entire faith is based on the covenant blood of Jesus. How many know the whole gospel, the whole word of God is based on the covenant Jesus made with his church? We serve a covenant God. God made a covenant with Abraham. His relationship was not just mediocre average with Moses or Noah. He made covenant with these people. He said, I'm not a man that I would lie. The son of man, thou shalt repent. I don't just give you my word and then walk away and casually commit to something. When I commit to something, you can take it to the bank. It's a covenant deal. And First Peter says God's not slack concerning his promises. He, what he said he would do, he'll always do. This book is full of men and women making covenant with one another, Ruth and Naomi, Jonathan and David. We just read Moses and Aaron. And I want to say God honors covenant. God honors covenant. When somebody makes a decision to go beyond mediocre uh, uh, commitments and go into a covenant relationship with another person, God honors that. Psalm chapter one says, he, he that plant is planted, everything he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers, why? Because he's planted. Psalm 92, 13 says, he that's planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of their God. And one translation says, shall flourish in all their ways. When you're committed in the house of God and you're established in the house of God, then whatever you do will prosper and flourish. And notice Jonathan made a covenant with David and David became extremely successful. Now I want you to lean in for a second because there's a profound difference between commitment and covenant. Commitment has an expiration date. Covenant is eternal. Commitment is based on the other party's performance, but covenant is based on God's performance. Well, if they come through, if they do what they're supposed to do. No, I don't make a covenant with someone based on their performance. I make a covenant with someone based on what God says. Commitment is, is all about a belief in a person, but covenant is all about a belief that God has connected me to that person. That's why I appreciate you about, about your pastor. We, we've been in covenant together for a long time and through thick and thin, through relationships, through different things, highs and lows, he stood beside me and I've stood beside him. It's a covenant deal. It's not, well, what can he do for me? What can I do for him? It's a covenant relationship. When you understand that God has put you together, 
See, marriages don't work in 2022 because people are committed based on the last thing that their spouse did for them. Churches don't work in 2022 because why? Because usually people are committed to the pastor based on the last sermon. But when you understand that covenant is not about a belief in that person, but about a belief that God has connected me to that person. I'm gonna give you three essentials really quick for a covenant relationship. I'd write these down because this will bless your family, it'll bless your home, your marriage, your job, your business, church, certainly. But three essentials that a person must have if they're gonna have a covenant relationship. Number one is honor. You don't honor somebody because, because they're honorable. I mean, a lot of times people are not honorable. You honor someone because you're honorable. You, you, you honor somebody because I know that's my God's way of doing things. And they can deal, and they can deal with the mess and pick up the pieces of their life on their own way, but I'm gonna honor. And what I choose to honor will always increase in my life, and what I fail to honor will exit my life. I'm gonna say that again because a lot of times marriages check out again, why? Because, because they fail to appreciate and honor their spouse. The reason a lot of times that we begin to take our job lightly and we finally get the pink slip is because why? Because we fail to honor that situation, that position that God has put me in. We, what we honor will increase in our life, but what we fail to honor will always exit our life. Honor, somebody shout honor. Number two, sound reasoning. Sound reasoning. There's two sides to every story. And, 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 and if, you, if your relationship with someone is based only on when you hear good things about them, come on, somebody, in a Facebook, Instagram <laughs> generation, you know, based on the last good thing I heard, well, there's always, I heard somebody one time actually said there's three sides to every story. His side, their side, and, and then the truth is somewhere in that, Right? And, and a lot of times we get caught up in one side and we take sides and we, and we don't reason right. You know, uh, here's, here's how one, one mentor put it to me. When I can't defend somebody's actions, I have to defend their heart. If I can't defend their heart, I don't need to be in a covenant relationship with them. So, so I'm not around Pastor Joel and I can't deny that Pastor Joel didn't have a bad day and do that to that person, whatever that would be. But what I can do is I can get his back and support him on his heart. I can defend heart. I can't defend actions because I wasn't there. I, but, I, but I can defend motives, intentions, heart, because I know that person and I'm gonna support that person. Anybody hear what I'm saying? So, so sound reasoning. And then, and then number three, mercy. Forgiveness, mercy, uh, for mercy and forgiveness are the keys to a strong covenant relationship. Don't miss this now. Mercy was always in the middle of Jesus' teaching. The woman caught in adultery. What do you say? The law says stoner. Jesus said, I say the person that's without sin, let him cast the first stone, right? His, his message was a message of, of mercy. In Micah 6, verse 8, do you have that? Micah 6, verse 8, I didn't, I told him at the last minute I wanted it. Just yes or no? No? Okay, no problem. But if you'll read Micah 6, verse 8, you'll see that the Lord requires three things of us. And he said, act justly, Love mercy 
and walk humbly. Now look at me now because I want to illustrate this the best I can without being able to see it. But if you'll see it in your Bible, you'll see those three words. You'll see where it says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. But right in the middle is what? Is mercy. Right in the middle of every message Jesus preached was mercy. Uh, arguably the greatest sermon he preached while on this earth was Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, right? The blessed are those. And, and I want to illustrate something really quick if I can. Um, I don't know who's going to get mad at me for calling them out, but I just need nine volunteers. Come on, I need nine people really quick. Just run up here. Just run up here. One, okay, there's one raise your hand. Two, uh, seven more. Come on, come on, come on. I'm going to call you out. Now, here's the deal. You're going to get really hooked up if you'll come up here. God's going to bless you. There we go. Now they're coming. So, so one, two, three, four, five. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to just line up single file facing the church, facing the church, and I just need nine of you. One, two, three, four, five, six, and you count for about five yourself. Uh, so I need two more, right? Two more. There we go. Eight and nine. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All nine of my friends today get a free copy of whatever book you choose, okay? So there you go. At, at least you can roll with me, and you get the blessing of being used of God to preach today. Y'all ready to preach? Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Go with me very quickly if you have your Bible. Matthew, the fifth chapter, and this is called the Beatitudes. I don't want you to miss this. Hopefully, they'll have this on the screen, but if not, it's okay. Matthew chapter 5, this is the message Jesus taught the Beatitudes, arguably the greatest sermon he ever preached. Now, don't miss this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I just want to have fun for a second. Raise your hand, poor in spirit. Okay, you're going to be poor in spirit. Okay, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Okay, mourner, there we go. Blessed are those who mourn. That's number two. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Your meekness. There we go. She's meek. Uh, where are we at here? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Are you hungry and thirsty? Okay, keep your hand there. There we go. Uh, blessed are the merciful. Are you merciful? Try to be. All right, there's mercy right there. Don't remember, we'll come back to mercy, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. You're pure in heart, all right. Maybe not perfect, but I like to say perfect, right? Okay, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. You're a peacemaker today. If you're not, you are today. Would your wife say you are? Okay, all right. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there's the kingdom of heaven. You ever been persecuted? All right, good. I would not persecute you personally. Um, Lord, I, Lord, I advise anybody to. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Okay, are you all that? Just say I'm all that right there, okay. All right, so, so here's my point. Jesus is preaching, and you think your pastor is a long sermon because it's three points. He had nine points, all right? And he preached, and guess what? They were hungry, and they didn't go home. <laughs> they stayed. He had nine points. He said, first of all, blessed. And then he said, blessed are you, because it's, blessed are you, and blessed are you. And there's the first four points. I don't want you to miss this, because it means something. And then he gets to mercy, number five, and then he keeps going. But notice right in the middle of his message was mercy. 
Right in the middle of teaching God's word and teaching on that day was mercy. Listen, we can have a lot in the home, but it's nothing if we don't have mercy. We can have a lot in a marriage, but it's nothing if we don't have mercy. You gotta have mercy for others, because watch this. It's the only one out of all nine points that will come back to you if you give it. Read it. It's the only one that said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There's two kind of seats mentioned in the Bible, the judgment seat and the mercy seat. And judgment said, be careful that you judge, because lest you be judged, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And here's the deal. Whatever I give when I when, when I have the opportunity to judge or give mercy, whatever seat I'm in when I'm giving is the seat I'll be sitting in when I need it. There will come a day that every single one of us in this room are gonna need mercy. And I'm not talking about when you take your last breath. I'm talking about today after lunch, if you're like me. I'm, I'm, the reason I'm so merciful with my wife, Leanne, is because I know I'm probably gonna need it by noon tomorrow. Right? So I'm blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's the only one that if you give it, and watch this, you can't just switch seats when you need it. If you've made a life of judgment, judge lest you be judged. I hope you're ready. But if I live a life, I have a mentor that's really my spiritual father in the faith that he, he's built a whole mega, mega ministry own mercy, love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So there came a time in his life that he messed up. He missed it. He missed the mark. He dropped the ball. And guess what? He dropped it royally. And people by the thousands stayed with him because he had created a culture of blessed are the merciful. I'm not, I'm not okay in sin. I'm not just winking it when people mess up. But we all mess up. We all fall short of God's glory. And if, not if, but when I fall short, I want to be sitting in the right seat. I want to have mercy in the middle. How about you? Come on, give all nine of my preachers. Great job. There you go. You just preach a sermon. You can go back to your seats. Mercy has to be in the middle of everything we do. So, so honor, sound reasoning, and mercy. Mercy trumps law. They had the Old Testament, they had the law, the Ten Commandments at the bottom of the mercy, uh, at the Ark of the Covenant, I should say. But above it was the mercy seat, was the blood, the co blood covenant that it represented. Why? Because mercy always trumps law. In our reading, Jonathan made a covenant with David. It wasn't a commitment. It was till death to his part. Are, are you in covenant with your husband? Are you in covenant with your wife? Do you believe in those kids even when they do the worst? Do you believe the best in them? I'm not saying we don't discipline them. I'm not saying there aren't consequences. I'm not saying that. But if, if you can just always believe in them, that Jonathan believed in David. And because David had somebody that believed in him, are you in covenant with your pastor? Are you in covenant with your boss at work? Because if they're not producing in your eyes the way you think they should, that's on you. Because, and I know I'm the, that sounded mean, didn't it? But 
the, the reality is I can speak life or death over that person that I'm in relationship with. And I choose to speak life over my wife. I choose to speak life over my children, over my parents, over my pastor, over my leaders, over my, my people at work and people I'm in relationship with. Because what I say is what I'll get, what I confess, I'll possess. And in our reading, Jonathan made a covenant with David, and he did three things because covenant requires action. I need one more volunteer here, just one person. I need one. To, give, give me my big dude over here. Yeah. Tell me your name. Will. You're going to get another book for free now. You get both books for free uh, for, for your best gift of $100. I'm playing. Okay. So, so I just want you to stand right there, Will. In fact, stand and face me right here. But then stay, stay facing that way for a second. So Jonathan, I want you to get the picture. Jonathan and, Co and David made a covenant with one another. And the first thing, according to our reading, he did was he... He took off his robe. And he covered David. Signifying, I got you. Signifying, I know you got weaknesses, but I refuse to expose your weaknesses. I refuse to live with a critical finger in this relationship. Man, I hope you're getting this the way that I'm feeling it. I, 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 I refuse to do anything but get your back. I refuse to get caught up in the talk in town. I refuse to get caught up in my, in my feelings. How I many know feelings are not final? I have your back. I cover you. I, I, even when people say other things in, when you're not around, I got you. Not only do I support you and do I defend you in your, in your present, but also in your, in your absence. I got you. I thought about Noah. Noah had three sons, Ham, Sham, and Jepheth, right? He had three sons that, that walked in on him when he was drunk. He laid naked in the tent. This is after the ark. And he comes in, and Ham saw his father's weakness. Watch this now. And he went outside and told everybody outside the tent. But Sham and Jepheth, the Bible says they had a coat. They had a covering. And they walked in backwards because they refused to see their father's weakness and nakedness. And they walked in and they covered. Now, if you will read the rest of that passage in Genesis, I believe it's around nine or 10. Uh, it might, it's after the ark when the story, you'll find that Noah was covered by Shem and Japheth, but exposed by Ham. We think the end of the story is there. But if you'll read the lineage, you'll find that, that the Bible actually says, cursed to be Canaan. Canaan was Ham's son. When we live a life of criticism and when we live a life of judgment, we don't always, it, it's not just us that reaps the consequences thereof. A lot of times it's our children that reaps that same spirit, that, that critical spirit that says, uh, you know, that's not good enough, you're not good enough, and we begin to judge one another, and our children face the consequences thereof. But Sham and Jephthah walked in, and they walked in backwards, and they covered and their children were blessed. Read it. All because he chose to cover him. He covered him. Jonathan covered him with his robe. The next thing he did.
This is sort of a covenant friend gave me for my 40th birthday. He said, you know, covenant was their defense weapon. <laughs> I mean, uh, a sword was, I should say. And, and Jonathan that day, I want you to see the picture. Jonathan gives David, go ahead and take it, his sword, saying, I, it's ultimate trust. I will never need this to defend myself with you. And if I ever do, I value your life over mine. I value your reputation over mine. Come on, somebody. We don't have swords. We're not walking around with swords in 2022, but we're walking around with swords. And, and we can use our sword to defend our brother, our sister, or we can use them to attack. He chose to give up his sword, saying, I'll never need it. Ultimate trust. I'll never use my sword against you from this day forward. I value your life over mine. He gave him his coat, his robe. He gave him, he covered him. He gave him his sword, ultimate trust. And then finally, he gave him his belt. The, the apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, talking the armor of God, he gets to the belt, and he said the belt represents truth. So he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you my belt, signifying I'll always tell you the truth. I'll always speak truth to you. Now, now watch this now. Not just my version of it. Not just my perspective or my opinion. But I'll always speak the truth in love. See, speaking the truth without love is legalism. But speaking love without truth is just gracie, gracie, and you can do whatever you want to and not hear God's word. But the truth is what sets you free. So he chose to give him his robe covering him. He chose to give him his sword as an act of trust. And he said, I'm gonna give you my belt. I will always tell you the truth, but watch this. I will also be able to receive truth from you. Because a lot of times we wanna tell the truth, don't we? We just wanna post what we're thinking. But do we wanna receive truth? And with no truth, there is no covenant relationship. It's, it's, it's plastic Christianity at best. It's fake, it's phony. But when you can cover that person, when you can give up your, your, your weapons, and when you can speak truth and receive truth, you have a covenant relationship. Can you give Mr. Universe a great hand? You can go down. Just take my stuff with you, if you will, and... For clock watchers, I have four minutes and 34 seconds. And I want to close with this true story. In the deserts of California, there's a place called Death Valley. Do you have the picture of Death Valley before? Is that before? Okay. It's the hottest, driest place in the country. True story. It never rains there. Nothing lives there. Nothing grows there. That's why it's called Death Valley. No people, no animals. Everything's dead and dry. But something very interesting happened in the fall of 2004. There was a 
downpour of seven inches of rain. Nothing happened at first. But just a few months later in the spring of 2005, something happened. They call it the super bloom. Do you have? It's the same place. True story. Same place. And they found out that Death Valley was not dead. Death Valley was dormant. What they had discovered is there were seeds that had been sown throughout the years underneath the surface. And you couldn't see it, but they were there. And seeds represented potential. And I just want to say today that's the potential of covenant relationships. If we make a decision to not give up on one another, this can be your marriage. This can be your family. Those children, the grand, uh, grandson or granddaughter, you don't even know where they're at right now. This can be them. This can be your workplace. This can be your great church. In fact, I want to say about a church, Dr. Sam Chan, you know who that is. He did a, a study a few years ago, and, and he actually, through his research, he discovered, and he did thousands of pastors and thousands of churches. And if you don't know who Dr. Sam Chan is, wrote an amazing, several books, but one on cracking your church's culture code. And leave, leave the picture up there for just a second, because I want to make this point. But, but Dr. Chan said this, he found that on average, the minimal, when a man or woman decides to go all in in their church, I'm not saying this for any reason but what it is. When they make a decision to go all in, it doesn't just benefit their life. On average, a minimum within 12 months of 10 people will be impacted by that one person that made a decision to go all in. So at our church, we focus more on growth track than we do bringing people to church. Because I can go out and witness, and we should, and invite people at Kroger, and we should, but the reality of me getting 10 strangers in these doors, 10, but if I'll just go all in, God will bring 10 people into the building. And I, I just wanna say, it's only a matter of time, and you're 10 times greater as a church. You're 10 times greater in numbers, 10 times greater in miracles, 10 times greater in restorations of marriages and homes and families, 10 times greater in healings, 10 times greater financially. God's gonna bless you and your family and your spouse. According to his word, 10 times greater. And God's gonna get all the glory because you understood that there were seeds under the surface. How do we create a super bloom with, with 42 seconds left? Our words create the environment. It says, and, and it says this, our words create the right environment. Mercy, forgiveness, unity, loyalty, covenant, all create an environment for the super bloom. Stand on your feet all over this room. When we get to a point that we can use our words, the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know, we throw that around, life and death are in the power that we have no idea sometimes what we're saying. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That word power comes a Hebrew word, yod, Y-A-W-D. It literally means as a hand. Don't miss this. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the yod of the tongue. Life and death are in the hand of the tongue. So if I want to move something in the natural, 
I take my hand and I move my phone that I just got my 30-second text from. And I move it from here to there with my hand in the natural. But if I want to move something in the supernatural, I take my yard. I take my tongue, I take my spiritual hand, and I call things that are not as though they were. Let the weak, don't say I'm weak, say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Let the bound say I'm free. Any man speaks of this mountain and be removed in the cast into the sea, it shall be done. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? You have the power to call things that are not as though they are. So right now, right before I pass it off to your pastor, I want you to lift both hands all over. Well, I'm not a hand lifter. That's okay. That's not a church thing. That's not even a spiritual thing. That's a universal act of surrender to say, I surrender to a higher power. I surrender to greatness and greatness is in this room. Not greatness that I can see, but God is great and greatly to be praised. And I begin to lift up with my tongue, with my yard, and I create the environment for seeds to grow in my home. I create the environment for seeds to grow in my family, in my business, in my church. I call all things that are not as though they were. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare over this house a super bloom. I declare over every child that's going to come into this place, and we're going to pray over the children, and we're going to pray over the next generation. I declare a mighty super bloom. Every business owner in this room, I declare a mighty super bloom. Every person that feels called into the ministry, no matter what it is, I declare over your life a mighty super bloom. I, de I declare over every family and every marriage that's broken, that's down, down for the count. And you said, if I could just get through the holidays, I'll file for divorce in January. God sent me in here to remind you, he's the God of the super bloom. You're the, you're the prophet of your tomorrow. If you want tomorrow to be different from today, you got to begin to say some things different than you said yesterday. Come on, our vocabulary is the key to our victory. So begin to lift up your voice right now. Begin to worship him. Begin to bless your family. Begin to bless your marriage. Begin to bless your church. Because God is in this house and a super bloom is coming. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.